to Burger Creek Productions' 15 Minutes of Fame podcast features Kurt, Rosie, and Chris from the Texas-based scout band Hans Gruber and the Diehards. Here's their song, You're Being Watched. So th- thank you, uh, the three of you. We're having a foursome today. I'm very glad that you decided to join me on this uh, so this so-called podcast. I don't even really know what it is anymore, but people keep agreeing to chat with me, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> I, we'll do. Uh, so how about this? I'll, I'll do the official introduction. I'll do like the hand clap, like we're recording on set. Um, this is the 15 minutes of fame, uh, Burger Creek production, 15 minutes of fame. I've already fucked it up. I've, I've fucked up the intro of my own fucking podcast. I've Hans Gruber and the diehards from Texas. Uh, you guys, again, uh, thank you for, for carving out some time on tax day, right? The new tax day, I suppose. I did mine on Friday. You. Yeah, I, I did mine a few weeks ago for me and Rosie and like. We got money back for the first time in 10 years. Wow. Interesting. Weird feeling. It's, you know, it's, and it's funny you mentioned it too, because so my wife did hers a little while ago as well and kind of said the same thing like, wow, I'm actually getting something back. This is a rare occurrence. So it's, uh, it's interesting that, that I am now hearing this from the two of you as well. Um, so yeah, what better way to celebrate tax day than, than talk about music and, <laughs> and you know, taxes. and taxes and, and finances. Exactly. The, all the important things, why everybody tunes in, they want to hear about taxes and me talk about fucking fecal matter. You know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a toss up <laughs> between those things. Um, I wanted to, um, Kurt, I know you and I had spoke very briefly. Um, you guys had a, recently had a, had a post. Uh, I talked about some lineup changes. I'll give you a second if you want to step up on a, the proverbial soapbox and just kind of address anything, and then we'll we'll move the fuck on. And I, I want to ask you about your most recent split with Sergeant Skag. So, whoever wants to take it away, go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Uh, I mean, more or less, um, uh, TJ and Hans. Uh, we started the band with them, Chris and I. Uh, years ago and we've toured with them for a long time and during the pandemic uh, I think that just certain opinions and thoughts started coming out and we began to butt heads and Rosie, Chris and I had decided that it would be better to move on without them due to some of the opinions that they were having coming out it would have made it difficult to tour Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much where we were at Excellent. Well, thank you for, uh, I guess, just I, I know it's it's one of those things where especially I feel like now as we're, you know, knock on wood, we're, we're moving out of, uh, you know, the, the the darkness, if you will, and, and kind of into the light a little bit. We're seeing artists attempting to piece together tours, you know, obviously safe shows, touring, etc. 
Um, you know, now is the time to, to, you know, kind of get things in line. So it's, it's good that you guys are, you guys have some sort of a, I guess a game plan moving ahead, so to speak, even though, even, even if it might be fast and loose, right. Um, punk, punk rock is possible, I suppose. Now I wanted to, I want to talk to you guys about your seven split with Sergeant Skag, you know, what, so here's, I, I, I noticed this immediately as soon as I listened to it, it made me laugh, especially when I got my physical copy. I love the fact that Sergeant Skag has like one five and a half minute song and you guys have like two <laughs> minute and a half. Like it just it killed me because like because we've played with those guys and they're real. They're great. They're awesome. But it's like that. Like when I saw like the, the track listing, it was just like, OK, yeah, that that, that makes sense for those guys. Um Tell me a little bit about. Actually, you don't, I don't even want to ask you about the song. I, my my fave on that second side was medical advice. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But mm. on the topic of advice, and I've asked this question before to to people, and I I always get differing answers. But I don't think I've ever asked this question from somebody from Texas, um, let alone like a band from Texas. On the topic of of advice, um, what is some of the worst advice that each of you received uh, from somebody regarding music and being successful in music? That's good. I mean, I feel like the worst advice I've ever gotten, and it's kind of a mix of advice and just, I don't know, it's such an easy out that people give you when you discuss your passion of music is to not pursue it. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the worst advice I've ever gotten is like, like I'm a, I'm a 40 year old man, essentially still doing this still i've left my career i I used to work in higher education just so i can tour Mm. and when explaining that to people even at 36 when that happened they're like oh i I don't know like that doesn't sound smart that you i mean music is such a gamble like you know only only less than one percent of people ever make it i'm like well that depends on your definition Mm. and how you feel secure about that but i don't have the same definition uh and i feel like people always go to that. And I, I just think back to being a child and a young teenager starting in music and how many people always say that to you. Like, Oh, it's, it's a good hobby, but don't, don't go too much farther than that. It's unrealistic. Like, nah, you know what, man, everyone needs to stop saying that to people. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine, imagine, imagine if everyone just propped people up instead, mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, this is what you love. Dude, practice as much as you can do it, grind it out, whatever it is, like follow it. I feel like we would have many more, films like Eraserhead <laughs> and many more, yes, and, and, and many more, you yeah. know, like if people actually, you know, like you said, propped up, supported, whatever, like didn't try and just be an extreme negative force behind like interests and hobbies and or artistic endeavors in general. Like I agree with that entirely. And what I found very interesting about like making it, I love that always. I, I've heard that as well, uh, you know, throughout my life as well, just when it comes to specifically with, with art and music, but it's like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm like making is whatever you make that out to be. If yep. you're able, if you're able to play shows, you know, make t-shirts and, and play your music with other bands that are doing the same thing in different parts of the, the, the country or the state, even like that's making it, <laughs> you know, in my, in my opinion, you're like, you're make you made it. You oh, know? Yeah. You're doing it. And- we, we, we as a band, you know, it's kind of on topic, but we as a band have always had these goals of the things that we wanted to achieve. And to me, every time we've met one of those, not only have I made it yet again, it's just another thing I didn't really know that was possible because I probably doubted myself too much from so much, you know, so many other commentaries in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first time we put out a record, I never put out a record, never, never had anything on wax. 
oh my God, that's like one of my biggest achievements in my life. Now we have two, you know, we got to tour the country. We've got to play festival, like every little thing we were supposed to go international in 2020, but this pandemic thing happened, you know, not mm-hmm. so much. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So Kurt, Rosie, what do you guys got? I'll, I'll kind of add on to what Chris said. Um, Cause uh, I think the sim- similar, you know, I think, I don't know that it was ever directly said to me like, Oh, don't, don't do music. Don't, don't do that. But I think it was always kind of like, Oh, music's really hard unless you're like really, really good. Like, and a lot of people who go to music school, then they hate music later. Like they, all these kind of negative things would be said about it. And so I ended up studying construction management, which is super practical and there's parts of it I really like, but it's like, as a whole world, it's not something I actually, I love. And then, and then, so here I am right. <laughs> pursuing music instead. And then like, you know, whamming together what I can construction wise when we're, when we're back home to pay the bills, which, which works, but it, it's, it, it's just kind of that, like, yeah, I think it goes along with what Chris said. Um, how I, I just, I just kind of chalked it up to like, oh, I better not do that. It's not practical enough. And then I'm doing it anyway because I love it. I love it too much. I can't not do it. <laughs> so it's sort of funny. Um, but I think uh, I'll, I'll say a second one. It's it's kind of a funny story. So I took piano lessons when I was young, um, but I wasn't very good um, at like performing. I was better at like the theory and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, my uncle, his name's Uncle Dick, and he lives up to his name. He um he wanted me to play in front of the family or like in, in front of my grandma. And so I'm playing and he doesn't play piano. He doesn't know how to play piano. And he comes, <laughs> sits next to me and just starts critiquing every part of how I'm oh, playing. Boy. And it's like, oh, well, you need you're you need to have your left hand talking to your right hand. They're talking to each other, you know, and it's like not that he was wrong, but it was just like I remember my grandma just being so pissed. She was just like, up, dude, like you don't even know how to play that. Like, Demor- leave her alone. Demoralizing you like mid performance, like in front of the family, too. Just yeah, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, so ha- so let me ask you this has has uncle dick seen you perform since has ha- has uncle dick seen the band no he has not i don't know that he would his wife might my aunt might although well, they're pretty it's they're in their 80s i think so oh so yeah. the, the reason i ask because it's one of those things too i've i've had uh, conversations about t- time and time again where it's family members and it's not even necessarily like supportive but it's almost like when family members see the, their you know relative their child whomever perform for the first time it's kind of like that like what was your parents reaction like the first time they see you on stage and it's like <laughs> wow that's a that's a story so I'm, i was curious if uh if uncle dick had uh you know ate, ate in his words his proverbial words right watch you perform up on stage you know <laughs> i mean most of our parents have seen us at this point actually um anytime we're in uh New Mexico, both uh, Rosie's parents and my parents generally come out to the show because they both lived out there now and they they love it. Actually, my my parents are really big fans of our music. They both really liked ska, so they were really excited when they found out we actually started doing some of the ska. They they like some of our aggressive stuff a little less, but anytime <laughs> those pop strokes come in, man, they're all about it. So I what I what what I think. I like the most about the band is the fact that like you, you kind of walk the line between both. You have the aggressive, like the, the, the more punk fuel type stuff, but 
Rosie, like the sax work in there, I mean, we've all heard, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like a, a ska punk band minus horns, like even even the bands that I've been in, we try to do that. But like having an actual like full, ho- even if it's just one, it completely changes the dynamic of the song, in my opinion. Like it adds so much more to it. And you, mm-hmm. you, you employ that fantastically that's not even a word fantastically i don't know i just made it up but we're going with it it sounds awesome keep doing keep doing what you guys are doing because it's great um oh thank thank you so much so kurt writes most of the lines i just i just complain about adam when i have to figure out how to play them and then i make you play them faster yes and then chris (laughs) is like balls to the walls and then i'm like there's no breathing here how can i play this Kurt, what uh, what terrible advice regarding music have you received? You know what's really funny? I have had incredibly supportive people around me in my my whole life. Cause my, I mean, to paint a picture, I just found out the other day. I was talking to my mom, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I used to subscribe to Mother Jones." So that's the type of person she mm-hmm. is, which okay. I didn't know because, like, you know, they they were not that person i thought and then you know my dad is an artist of course so they've always been really supportive so i was trying to imagine someone telling me something negative and it's like generally speaking i've i've just had a lot of support for being creative that's awesome you know i don't know why it's lucky (laughs) (laughs) well i think the the only critique is once someone said they didn't like my bass tone and it's a friend of ours in town (laughs) I, i i give him i give you Zach, I give you fucking shit every time I hear that, and I complain about it. But you know, that's, he's entitled to his wrong opinion. But. <laughs> his wrong opinion. Uh, so you know, in line with with your music and people's opinions, I I'll tell you my opinion on the uh, Hans Gruber and the Diehards, the game OST, the official soundtrack. <laughs> Now, who is responsible for working those tracks, like composing them into chiptune like music? Was that was that, that some that, was that you? That was me. It was Kurt. So good, man. That was like awesome. And I, what I think I found most interesting is um, I, I had a conversation with Tino from the Cryptics regarding video game compositions. Um, are there any video game scores between the three of you that like? I don't know if you guys play video games. I'm assuming you do. I mean, someone does, right? Um, what are some compositions uh, and or and or game scores that are still like wow this is massive because it so your music translates very well. I I believe I play more video games than both Chris and Rosie. But there's I mean, one soundtrack I love that you love. Yeah, so uh, Earth Two. Earthbound uh, for the Super Nintendo is probably my all time favorite soundtrack. It's um the game in general is fantastic, and I. You know, I played it as when I was a kid, so I fell in love with it then. But something about the way the score is composed, that whole game, it flows together so well. It's super, like, sometimes, like, bluesy or funky or, like, just really eh, something else. So I, that's where I really fell in love with kind of the video game soundtrack. Um, I prefer the, the 8-bit sound to the 16-bit sound just because there's something about the chunks mm-hmm. from the Nintendo that, invokes more of that warm feeling from my childhood mm-hmm. but in terms of video game soundtracks earthbound oh and banjo kazooie is another big one banjo kazooie <laughs> was um i think it's a grant kirkhope who did it and he does a lot of the soundtracks for um rare or used mm-hmm. to do them 
Yep. And it's the whole thing is just wild and just goofy and so captures that video game in general. If, and I yeah, it's good. If you if you have interest in like there was a pretty decent documentary. I want to say it was it only ended up being like maybe like 20 20 minutes, half an hour, but it's 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 basically a documentary about Perfect Dark and they go into they talk a little bit about the score and like the voice actors and stuff. Yeah. Speaking of like uh, you know, particularly N64, but rare. Um, dude, Earthbound 2, insane. And I, I find that very interesting about what, the differentiation between 8 and 16-bit. Because my first go-to with, like, scores is Super Castlevania 4. But, like, yeah. on, on the flip side with, like, N64, Ocarina of Time, for me, is just... It's embedded. It's ingrained into my subconscious. But for whatever reason, um, definitely, like... I think it's part of, you mentioned that like warm, you know, it reminds you of like that yeah. warm experience. Like I, I think sometimes is, do you think that people don't realize it? It's like, think of a movie with no score. It's like no country for old men. Yeah. Think about that. Like there's no, there's nothing cueing emotions, but then it's mm-hmm. like, you have something like a video game where it's like, it's all visceral. It's, 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 it's this whole experience of like you being, you having to react to your surroundings as they change around you. And like you're, there's these intense moments. It's just, it's crazy, man. I, that's why I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that for a minute. Cause I just, I love, I love eight like chiptune music and stuff, especially adaptations of songs and mm-hmm. uh, you know, ska music translates very well because of the melodies and stuff. So it's, Oh, absolutely. It, it's funny you mention that because um, uh, in recent years, uh, Nintendo has been doing a great job with incorporating just the soundtracks into their game so well. I know in particular the um, uh, the most recent um, Mario for Switch, you know, like the characters bounce with the beats on occasion. And it's like so driven in that that soundtrack is part of the experience that it's even the visual part sometimes. And I, Nintendo really has historically just done good with their independent properties as well as the ones that they um, kind of have official rights to releasing. I don't know why it is, but they've managed to really push that audio part of it to, I think, some of the best extremes mm-hmm. and just for the better. Yeah, it's and, and I almost, I wonder if part of it too is somewhat of a misconception about it because definitely with like the the marios and some of the i guess the more well-known scores that like invoke emotions between like everyone but it's like a lot of those are truly compositions if you break down like what's being played in the background it's like there's some Mm -hmm. pretty intense like there's some intense like note work going on especially especially in like a castlevania where it's more like classical music driven and stuff it's just it's wild to me that you know sometimes it gets written off as like ah it's just a goofball pressing an arpeggiator you know like no 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 there's there's more going on and i love goofballs that that just push arpeggiators i'm one of those people but like i i, I can i can see it from all sides of it where it's like this is pretty cool um this is very interesting so it's it's uh it's wonderful to 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 pick your brain a little bit about you know i guess what, what oh, yeah. so why so actually let me ask you this so why did you end up why did you make that <laughs> it, I, I think it was like a it was kind of a half joke half this would be cool thing that Chris and I talked about 
on a tour back in 2019, I think. Is that right? Kurt? No, it was, uh, well, it was, so uh, Kurt, Kurt had made just a very yeah. small snippet of We're All Gonna Die as an 8-bit version for the uh, promotional social media video we posted oh, okay. for the tour dates for the Scopery tour. I think it was Scopery tour. Yeah, it uh, was. Cause we, yeah. yeah. Cause we, cause we were doing a week before the tour and a week plus after um, that cause the tour started all the way in Seattle. So we were not just going out there for nothing. And uh, so, yeah, we had a good solid month of touring in January, 2020 and no one else, you know, not a lot of people got to do, but uh, we're in the van. We're talking about that thing. I just loved it. Like it was this phenomenal between the eight bit artwork that he used as well as the, the you know, doing the ape version of our song. I was like, man, wouldn't this be like rad if we just did a whole album of this, like maybe a best of, of some of the tracks from both albums so far. And it just kind of spawned from that conversation. Uh, really, because, you know, once the pandemic hit and you're like, Oh my God, like we're in lockdown. We can't go anywhere. I it, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, but you just were like, Oh, well, I guess I'm just going to do this outright right now. Yeah. It was pretty much, I think uh, within a month of being in lockdown, I had finished it up and I was like, all right, well, let's, I guess let's release it. Like <laughs> that's so cool. And I I did see like when I was looking on Bandcamp, you guys did like a tenth lathe cut vinyl release of it. Yeah. Which I'm sure sold out immediately. Um Yeah, we because people we love that. that was... People love that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, it uh, uh we had uh, friends in uh Lancaster Lathe Cuts, uh which is uh the singer from Main Street Sweep. Okay. Um out of Pennsylvania. And so he, he has the lathe cut business and I was like, yeah, we have to do this. And I, I really think eight bit because, because late a lathe cut vinyl kind of has a lot more dirty, you know, warmer fuzz to it mm -hmm. than your traditional like metal plate pressed vinyl. And so having that eight bit sound just actually added to it. That's like cool. it just made it that much cooler. So to, to switch gears, um, I'm curious, uh, Rosie, in your opinion, what, what is the band, how does the band aid in keeping Austin weird? <laughs> well, oh, that's a good question. Well, I think all of us in the band are a little, we are a little weird. Like, I don't know that we intend to be, but like, as, especially live shows, like as we culminate at a live show, and I know that'll look different, but I still believe that it's going to culminate in a very weird way. It's just a weird, it's a weird moment. There's always, you never quite know what to expect. And like, you know, we're, we're filled with the proverbial weird, keep Austin weird spirit. And like, just weird things happen. We just, you know, like, I don't know. We just go with the flow, I guess, a bit. Um, and I'll tell a little story, which actually relates to the year being watched one, which is one of those moments where we went with the flow, you know, we're starting to play you're being watched and talk about oh this is about cockroaches or whatever and some dude in the crowd this is in bend oregon during the scott parade tour well before the scott parade but when we were doing our little tour um by ourselves up he's just like oh but you need to do the cockroach mosh and he just gets on his back and sticks <laughs> his like legs and arms in the air and moves him around and we're like okay yeah and that just carried on to the rest of everything so i think i think maybe just that like openness like we're open to the weird things like we'll get on the ground we'll get like a little crusty and gross and like sure <laughs> i'll just jump on the ground with my sacks on my whatever and i think that in a lot of ways um maybe because we we just don't care and we're just cool to do that we kind of i think we help create or like curate an experience where other people can kind of just let go so i think 
a lot of it has to do with the the way we play live but also i mean also you know the way we record and i think with we have a, a a new album that will be coming out um sometime we don't know how soon um because we have a little more work on it left to do but um i think that like the, it's going to be so different than what we can do live because mm. we've added all kinds of instruments that i don't even know how to play and like i have a bassoon you want me to play a note on bassoon like, yeah <laughs> Like I have a clarinet, let's play that. Like whatever we have, I, put it on, you know. I so rented I'm, a theremin. Nice. Yes, also that. Like it's just like there's a, what's, there's a toy piano. Like I don't know. There's just like a yeah. lot of insanity. Sousaphone player. <laughs> yeah, our sousaphone. Timbales. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Now with, I'm sure you asked that guy. So he said cockroach mosh. Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah. So you know that guy watched Joe's apartment like a lot growing up like had to <laughs> had really. to have um one one thing too i want to ask about speaking about like weird not even weird but just kind of the things that occur and you just go with it what the fuck is up with the clown boners enormous shirt <laughs> what the fuck is there a weirder boner i mean like clown bone like okay just please give me the story behind that if you can if you're at liberty too oh yeah uh it was uh, who was it, Chris? I, it was... And I know who it was. Go ahead, Rosie. Okay, so we have this amazing show in New Jersey with um, the two. There was more bands. There was a lot of bands, but the two that stick in my mind are um, Riverside Odds out of Philly, and then um, Nikki Nailbomb and the Amorphous Blob Orchestra. And Nikki Nailbomb, that band blows me personally. I like blows me away. Like, and, it's all over the place. There's, like, flute, and I don't even know. Like, all kinds of weird stuff happening. And Riverside Dodds, we've known yeah, for we've a known couple them. of years now. We've done a bunch of dates with them, and they're really good buds of ours. So. Right. And so we have a great show, whatever. At the end of the night, like, somehow, I think TJ just finds this giant oversized shirt in the merch bin that says Clown Boners. <laughs> and it's like, where the what the hell is this? And so he just put it on, and, like, we... <laughs> up staying in like kind of a weird sketchy hotel that night that had like the mirror <laughs> yeah, that's right which just made it even better because i think he just slept in it naked probably i don't even know that's what the picture looks like and so it was just like i don't know what this is but this is amazing we're here for it so finally we post about it and we you know we make a big joke about it and then um rh who's from riverside odds or rw sorry um, he reaches out and he's like, yeah, that was for me. It's just a little, it's a little gift. And it's, it's basically like, um, it's the punk band version of the sisterhood of the traveling pants. So you oh. may see it show up in, a, in another band. You may not. Yeah, we, I was going to say, we, we were, to. we were asked, we were asked to, you know, have our fun with it, but to pass it along at some point. Pay it forward. Pay That's it forward. Amazing. That is, <laughs> that is amazing. You know, I was going to say, if it wasn't like a sisterhood of the traveling pants thing, I mean, you guys would probably make some pretty sweet, like Hans Gruber and the Die Hard, like patches, and like put your name like really small at the bottom, and then it just just say clown boners and like you know bold <laughs> font, you know. Like I just think that's like that's absolutely hilarious. Like it it brings there's like some really weird thoughts, but then there's also like is this like a John Wayne Gacy thing? It could be, but then it could just be you know like and it's just a normal shriner you know getting a boner when on the job you know it's just i don't know it, it's not a bad thing there's, there's nothing wrong with that but um but thank you for shedding a little light um as far as as far as the austin because i want to go back to austin and, and like the music scene in general but 
you know, in different parts of the country, it doesn't matter if it's New York City, it doesn't matter if it's L.A., it doesn't matter if it's like fucking Laramie, Washington. It's like there's always misconceptions about certain scenes. And with Austin in particular, from where, you know, where we are on the East Coast, it's like it seems like from the outside perspective, at least from our perspective, like being in bands and stuff, playing forever, whatever, Austin is vibrant. There's it's very lively. There's a lot of live music. Are there huge misconce- misconceptions about the Austin music scene? Yeah, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll grab if you guys don't mind. I'll grab that yeah. one. Um, I so I'm I'm originally from the East Coast, by the way. Mm. Um, I'm I'm a Connecticut guy. Oh, nice, uh, dude. And then lived in Boston for like a decade, and so actually, actually, just to point out, not one of us is actually from Texas originally. We all grew up elsewhere. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was going to I was going to ask about Connecticut in particular, like I, I for some reason I was I don't know if like because when I was um, when I was talking with Steve, I talked with him a couple of times just through the course of this, like, you know, podcast bullshit. But like I was curious if, if anyone from the band like was from originally from like Connecticut, like the New England, I guess, area. Yeah, I, I played in ska bands in the in the like, you know, 96 to 98. 99 era okay. uh, in Connecticut. So like I had played shows, I'd shared bills with Sergeant Scagnetti though. To be honest, we didn't know each other. Like, we, Yeah. We shared the same stage, I think a few times, but I never really got to know them back then. I was young. I was, I was 16, I think when that was sure. going on. Okay. But uh, yeah, so Austin, you know, I, so I've, I've lived in the, like the new Haven, Connecticut punk ska community that existed, especially in the nineties. I lived in Boston during the 2000s. Uh, really, to be honest, there was on and off, not always great things happening there. But Texas, like, look, there's an overabundance for sure. There's a lot of different musical styles that get a heavy amount of rotation on stages, on local radio stations, et cetera. Um, we, we have a lot of punk here, uh, which is awesome. Like, I don't know that people know that or focus on it, but there, I mean, I could probably rattle off 35 to 45 punk bands that are active right now and we also have two different punk scenes so we there's like the punk scene that we kind of associate with um and and we all have like our homestead which is called kick butt coffee it used to be bull mccabe's and kind of the red river district of austin but then there's this other punk community that's more like garage rock punk and kind of psych punk and they're on the east side of town and they their homestead is like hotel vegas um so there's a lot going on here. There's not always a ton of sharing uh, in the best way possible, mm. but everyone does get along. Like it's nothing. It's nothing nefarious. There's no. We don't. We don't make diss tracks towards other bands <laughs> and things like that. But we should, to be honest, we really should up the game here and like really get at each other. <laughs> but I think the 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 thing I've noticed, um, it, it, you know, we've been here. We've been playing as a band in Austin for seven years. About. Uh, I think Austin kind of has gotten so used to its own motto of live music capital of the world that people just expect it. And it's such a bummer sometimes. And what I mean is that venues don't really always pay bands or people don't always want to pay cover to get in. And there are so many stages and there's so many bands that if you try to negotiate sometimes on like a guarantee or like what's your rate for the night, there's just other bands that, that can go in and do it. And it's no knock to them either because everyone needs to at some point just get on a stage and play, even if it's for the selfish nature of a band needing to rehearse and understand what their songs sound like in a room and with a crowd, et cetera. But I, I think 
when people view Austin, it's like, oh my God, there's, there's so much happening there. Yeah, there is. But you know, there's only a certain percentage, I think that kind of see success from it. We, we struggled here and to be like super frank, we struggled here with trying to get to that like next tier of like, Hey man, we've been playing for a couple of years now. We have an album out. Like we, we let's get onto some supporting slots for national touring bands when they come to our city. And we, we really, we couldn't even get that. And we, well, we all said, you know what, let's just go out and tour. And we found so much more success touring around the country, especially in smaller towns um, than we experience all the time here in our city. Now, don't get me wrong either, because Austin has been great to us. And like, when we, when we have a good show here, it's, it's some of my favorites ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's, I guess, uh, the, the truth of it, that would be part of the, you got to grind, you know, you really, you really got to put a lot of work in and the expectations are, unfortunately probably need to be low mm-hmm. and, and Kurt Rosie, please, if I overstated anything, feel free to, to correct me. No, I think you're right. And I think um, one thing I will say, you know, um, after touring more and being here for a long time and, and ha- having um, kick butt coffee kind of be like our, our little like home base, I think it, you know, it changed a little bit where a lot more people would be coming out in the last, well, before, I guess before 2020, it would have been like that year, 2019, maybe. Hmm. And maybe part of it's because we weren't playing here as much. We were touring so much, but I, I do think that it started to like, even on off days there there would be like a good crowd um, yeah. but it took a long time to get there for sure um i don't know i think that's well and the other thing that we've discovered is that um there's a really big split just in texas in general between the the spanish music scene and the english music scene uh if you get into any of the spanish clubs for whatever reason you'll get paid significantly better Yep. Hmm. Uh, and that's just one fact right there. So if there's any, uh, in fact, if there's any Spanish speaking like punk or ska or, you know, alternative, whatever bands you play with here and they get you into one of those clubs, you're more likely to get money. Hmm. Oh, shit. Also an amazing energetic crowd. Absolutely. Like our, our, yeah, our shows in El Paso have become some of our favorites when we, when we tour, like it's usually the first day of tour, we get to play one of the best shows. <laughs> That's cool. Yep. Interesting. I would not. I, I would not have known. Like, I, obviously, we're up up in New York. It's like I wouldn't have known that. But it's it's very interesting, and it almost makes me like like wonder too. So, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. I saw there was a show up here. It was Voodoo Glow Skulls and Reverend Horton Heat. Now made sense, yep. right? In a roundabout way, Voodoo Glow Skulls, new lead singer, highly energetic. I mean. The, the show was in a mall, but it was, but it was like Reverend Horton's Hey, like a holiday thing. So he's up there playing like Christmas songs and shit in, in, you know, 45 minutes before he took the stage and singing like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like rockabilly style. It's like fucking Voodoo Glow Skulls literally just wreaking havoc. It was, it was nuts, dude. It was so good. So it's really cool. It's cool to hear that where it's like, like you said, like you you guys can get in these clubs and it's like you're paid more. It's like the crowd is more energetic. Cause I'm pretty sure the new Voodoo Gold Skulls like lead singer, I want to say he's like significantly Ephraim. younger, right? No, no, he's from Death by Stereo. Oh shit, dude, you're right. No shit. Okay. Yeah, it's Ephraim. Okay. 
Because I was going to say, I was like, damn, I, like he made it look good. You know, like he was. Yes. <laughs> so he made it look real good. He's up on the bar. Like, I don't think it was one of those crowds. It definitely wasn't. The show wasn't marketed properly. So there was like a lot of and there's dude. There's nothing wrong with fucking, you know, po- you know, long sleeve polo shirts and fucking khakis and shit, whatever. I don't care. But there was an overwhelming number of people that I think were expecting Reverend Horton Heat to go up and just sing Christmas carols for you know an hour and it was not that it was pretty it was great but anyway i fucking digress talking about nonsense um so speaking of nonsense depending on how you break it down kurt i mentioned this when you and i spoke and i i was serious when i i mentioned this can you give me your hot take on david ike on who david ike and or um credo mutwa i well, the reason i asked this you mentioned reptil i've seen reptilians uh, a number of times in like the oh. bio and stuff like that so i wanted oh. to i wanted to ask you about some of the individuals who are big more proponents of that uh belief oh. shit okay i always i always forget that's the guy who always talks about it because uh, like you know the term reptilian is just so used in almost like common day language now i forget yeah it's <laughs> Oh, it's some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're talking to reptilians as well, so they're you know, we're we're gonna get into the the paranormal part of the podcast. So let's go it. ahead and we'll, we'll go ahead and make the new intro here. Get some X file sounds and whatnot. <laughs> we'll go in. Um, it, it's very fascinating because obviously the David Icke version of the reptilian is this uh, this alien that they are infiltrating the various leaders in Hollywood and they are really trying to you know take over the world I think they wanted to use us as a, either as slaves or as food I'm not I never remember which one it is uh, and it's overall it's a great metaphor for the idea of how power and fame changes you and so I think that reptilian like that is a more interesting concept but there actually is I was a uh, I I follow a lot of kind of cryptid or paranormal podcasts and people talk about where it's the kind of reptile human figure or being is actually something that's been talked about for years in a lot of various cultures, like outside of just the West, like actually more indigenous or um, even African cultures. So you'll have stories of the reptilian or the lizard man or something like that. And it's, you know, we say reptilian over, you know, whatever, because that's the anglicized version. But a lot of time it's like, oh, here's the the alligator man stories that used to have in the, you know, uh, south uh, eastern tribes in the U.S. And I think that's kind of interesting that those stories will be passed down and almost retaken in a modern time and then transformed in our own way. It's like as humans as a culture we get passed down bigfoot stories and we hear them and then we make our new ones based on what we claim we see or don't see or whatnot and i don't know it's an interesting human phenomenon to take these stories capture the stories and retell them in our own way it's it's very interesting to me that you mentioned the the bit about um there's more like ant, not not antiquated, but there, the the stories go back a, much further, and that's that's why I mentioned David Ike because at, I, I also use a name like Credo Mutwa, who's an African shaman who 
he's there's a there's a there's actually a, a large amount of like interviews between the two of them where David Icke is talking with Credo about um, his experiences with reptilian. Well, we'll use that term loosely, reptilians. Um, but I I believe that there Ike is also a big proponent too of the idea of like feeding off of like fear right yes they, they feed off like emotions and i do want to come back to that because i have a specific question about um one of your songs and some of the content there but you mentioned cryptids now yeah. hold the fucking phone okay <laughs> i got i got in the mail hold on a second i got a wheel okay i got i got in the mail from one of my i, I used to cut meat at whole foods and my old boss um, he, he, well, I got this in the mail when I was in the fucking studio. Okay. It's called erotic encounters with the Mothman. Meredith meets the Mothman. Dude, so I, I just, I gotta read you. I gotta read you a passage out of this. It is insane. It's insane. Um, oh, wow. So, okay. So I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't even know if you could spoil anything with this. So basically the story from what I've seen, it's, it's, a, it's a whopping it's a whopping 53 pages, um, and it starts off like almost like, I think it's like lesbian porn, and then it turns into like a threesome with Mothman. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Because it's so, so to give you backstory, so, so my old boss, he's an old punk guy. Um, we used to bullshit all the time, talk, you know, talk about cryptids. And he's a big, he is a big, Bigfoot guy. He's actually from like Plattsburgh, New York, like Whitehall area. So like he is huge into all that. Goes to Bigfoot Festival. Like him and his wife like did this whole huge thing at their wedding. It just, it's, it's, it's a thing. So he sent this to me out of the blue. I had no idea who sent it to me. All right, so check this out. <clears throat> Try as she might, there was no way she could get the creature's cock into her mouth. The head was just too large. So, she improvised, sucking and licking all around the novel, stroking the shaft. The Mothman's cock radiated the same warmth as the rest of his body did. Meredith could feel it bathing her face and chest, making her feel beyond just good or content. She was actually enjoying this. It really wasn't so bad. So think about, think about the type of person. I mean, like, there's somebody writes, like, in this, I'm totally cool with this. I love, like, people's interpretations of it, but it's like, Wow. And you put your name on it, and that's awesome. Be proud of it. Own it. It's like, I, what do you think? That, what do you think? Okay, so Gwendolyn Rose. She lives in Florida with her best bud Xavier and a six-toed Hemingway cat named Pi. Pi. So, what do you think? Gwendolyn does Gwendolyn work at like? Where does Gwendolyn work? That's what I'm wondering. I, my my thought is that really it's probably Danielle Steele using another <laughs> pen name. <laughs> <laughs> It, it oh that's okay that's pretty good um i don't know if i could top that with a joke that was pretty good um yeah. it, it's actually it's funny you bring up mothman uh not to get serious here but to get serious uh <laughs> jo john keel's a real interesting uh character because he's kind of the big guy who wrote about mothman and kind of was discussing the odd events in uh it would be point pleasant west mm -hmm. virginia yep and it's it's real real interesting to hear him or read about anything he talks about because you know you have to take him at face value and that's always the difficult thing which is also why I love cryptid stories is you always have to accept a level of believability you know uh, certain people you're like oh I don't trust their opinion I don't trust this but when someone's pouring their heart out about something that sounds 
you know, insane. At the very least, I love listening to it, mm-hmm. and I like to know what and where. But John Keel just seemed to collect all those stories from people. And, you know, at least from his point of view, he didn't see why this, you know, these dozens of people in Point Pleasant would be lying about seeing these bizarre things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, it, it's funny because Mothman is what stuck, and it's not like it is literally a moth and man creature. It was just a creature that the best way they described it was it kind of looked like a moth and a man together. Right. You know? Right. Well, and I wonder, like, with Bigfoot as well and those stories when people are trying to describe them, and it's like, oh, you know, I saw this. It was Bigfoot, and because the best thing you can describe for a large thing that's kind of man-like, kind of ape-like. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of that classic example of, um, you know, for example, I know the, 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 the big, I guess, example at this point is like the Eric Von Dynekin kind of explanation of it, where it's literally individuals who are writing this, they are taking their worldview based on that point of time and what they know, and they're reporting it based on that. So if it yeah. looks like a chariot of the gods, right, a giant burning ship in the sky, that's what it means to them. So we have we have a much different take where it's like it's a Mothman. It must be you know like it must be a a, a man with a dick and wings and red eyes, right? <laughs> Which that's not that's not even necessarily what it has to be, but that's how we when we that's how some people I should say that's how some people interpret that. Whereas at that time it's like well that's the only way we can describe it. It's like use it like Bigfoot for example but I don't know I, I'm, I'm very fascinated in kind of the interpreting what was written because as you had mentioned like a lot of these stories go back further sightings yeah. interactions with and they might think of these things as angels or whatever but you know it just that just segues into the whole classic like you know alien visitation aliens are gods whatever um yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole, uh, I guess, the whole communion, that book yes. is all about yes. that, which it's also, you know, it, it, I think it delves into a, if you want to take a more, uh, I guess, less, you know, extraterrestrial or supernatural approach and take a more terrestrial approach, it's the idea of why do humans hallucinate the same thing? Like, what, what in our brain will make us see this if you want to take that approach which is another interesting concept because it's like if we're not being visited by things but people are you know getting ptsd because they are imagining they're being abducted by aliens Hmm. well why would the brain do that right why have people been having this experience for thousands of years Mm -hmm. it's it's very, I, I don't know, I, I'm fascinated uh, with all that. Yeah. And it's actually funny, t- just speaking about, like, not even necessarily, like, alien visitations, but just the overarching idea of we'll call it alternative history or whatever. I, so I, I, I know you had mentioned, Chris, you're you're in your 40s, is that correct? I, I'm just about, 39. Okay. okay, I'm 32, so I'm not too far behind you. So just to give you guys context, when I was in... I think this was maybe like 2008 or nine. I brought a, a burn DVD copy of zeitgeist to like my fucking fa- like a family gathering. Like, I think it was like <laughs> Easter or something. And, 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 I, and, and all my uncles are very open minded. I've, I've, well, I had, I had six uncles. 
they're and they're all great um but anyway like i just remember like being at my mom's house like in front of the big box tv with like the dvd player i'm like you guys gotta see this so i like walked them through that whole sequence about like you know basically the story of like the birth of christ and how it spills over into like uh, it's it's allegorical right it spills over into a lot of these other um like older stories anyway so that just to give you a time piece of like because like i was right there with like all of like the 9-11 truth stuff and loose change and all that all that just essentially not even necessarily that i you would mention like listening to people tell stories no matter how insane it is i'm also in that same boat i love stories i love storytelling um yeah and uh and hearing all ends of chaos even mothman erotica Right, we touched it all. <laughs> we fucking touched it all. Um, and that, we, and I we don't. We could all use a little Mothman erotica in our life. I know, I know. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the break that everyone needed. We should just send copies randomly to various <laughs> ports of call in the U.S. and see what the the reaction is. Um, I wanted to. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll now back out of uh, out of the rep. You know, the the alternative history talk, if you will. Um, the band has a huge category of music videos and i was curious in the band's opinion um in this age of streaming and instant gratification rapid attention spans why are music videos still important to the band you know i think that a lot of people uh listen to music on youtube and that's one of the reasons why it's interesting to have something that will catch people Mm because sometimes they'll just be letting it play and go and whatnot and they're just listening but when you have a music video too it gets people just to stick a bit longer so they might not be into the song instantly but if you have something interesting to watch maybe you can get them to sit around for a second longer and for me i i studied film and so it's a something i've always liked and i've always thought was interesting and i don't know it's it's real interesting to find out that yeah, the, the video part of the medium seems to still be important, even though MTV's been, you know, it hasn't been playing music videos for 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About that. No, I, think the, I think the hope is that, you know, even, oh, hey, you know, on the same page of people still, I still listen to music on YouTube sometimes. Uh, if it's not on Spotify, I'll try to find the album on YouTube and just watch the, you know, put the video on that's just like one, you know, title page and playing for 30 minutes but i think the other hope is like maybe at the end of the road of like man we're starting to do much better we're starting to to break a little bit as a band and we're starting to grow our audience you know tenfold would be the hope we want people to be able to go back and see some of those videos as well um because i think it's always going to represent you know kind of where the band was when they were filming them or you know a better expressive way to tell the story of what the song is or just because we're weird (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was going to say, too, is I think we also kind of just enjoy the theatrics sometimes. <laughs> um, and, and you know, it's like we're maybe a little late to the game or maybe I'm speaking more for myself, but kind of realizing the formula that a lot of other people are using to promote things, um, which we've sort of done backwards. <laughs> but I'm like realizing after having so much more time this year to just follow other people's social media and kind of pay attention. Um it seems like the the music videos now are kind of um, used really well as like, this is a single before the album comes out and you get it on who, whoever wants to show it for you, you know, like um, 
like we got ours on new noise, but it was after we had already released the seven inch. So we kind of did it backwards, but we're kind of watching other people do stuff like that. Um, and I, I, that seems to help. I think I wanted to ask how have you have, has anyone in the band visited Aberdeen, Texas, where like that whole legend of the black eyed kids like began supposedly uh, me, in a you're I have not been to um it yeah Abilene oh Abilene so, Abilene so I but man I fucking love that story it is it's wild the the original story because it's a it's you, do you you know it too right yes the journalist there yep it's it's one of those stories that it's just so hard to explain. And I, and because, and I guess the reason I'm always interested in some of these kind of weird or paranormal stories is I have had those feelings of uneasiness where you you can't quite put your finger on it, but you feel like you really got to leave. You really got to do something. And so, yeah, I, I was one who wrote black eyed children and I, just thought all the stories you read about it because it's almost like a creepypasta now too where people you know mm-hmm. they keep building onto it and adding their own black eyed children stories and oh, i saw it. it came to my my aunt's cabin when we were out in the middle of nowhere i don't know well the it's fascinating the, the reason i specifically brought this this specific song and like why i wanted to bring this up is it kind of ties into what I was talking about before with like the reptilian element where it's the feeding off of fear. Cause if I'm not mistaken, that tends to be one of the overwhelming like crossovers between these stories of experiences with the black eyed kids is that feeling, that feeling of like impending doom or like just yeah. being terrified. So it makes me wonder, okay, are there some threads there or is this, you know, are they like kind of the, the classic like psychic vampire, right? Like Dandelo. Yeah from the dark tower, you know, Stephen King universe or Pennywise, for example, feeding off of fear. Um, so I was interested, I was interested to, to pick your brains a little bit about that. Um, and if you'd ever been to the, uh, to the site of where this internet, uh, is, would it be an internet cryptid or a legend? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Cause I, I did some heavy research into it when I was writing the song and you know, the initial quote unquote story, it happened on an internet message board in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But uh, there have been stories of similar things that have been around for decades and centuries. And it's always funny to realize, like we've said before, is that they weren't always called black eyed children. And it's like, you know, if you go back to 1700s America, they're, well, they're demons. Because what else would someone say would come to your door? You know, you go to, you go to a tribe and it's a spirit and it's, it's just kind of real fascinating to have that common thread or like the shadow people is the other common thread. Now that's another internet phenomenon. It's like, you know, having sleep paralysis and being visited by this dark black figure and it feeds off your fear. And, you know, next thing you know, you're cycling through depression and yeah, I, yeah, you have cancer next thing you know. And I, I it's an interesting metaphor for people's lives. And I, I almost wonder if maybe the brain's firing off weird synapses and it's trying to help you visualize your 
stress or depression or pain sometimes. And maybe that's maybe that's why people see these. I don't know. Maybe they're real. I don't know shit. I'll give you the opportunity if there's anything you want to plug. Obviously, we've mentioned the the latest release, that 7-inch split. Obviously, available for purchase on Bandcamp. Get on that shit. But is there any other news besides what we talked about that you guys want to chat? We we will, uh, hopefully, for those that are attending, I know the, the festival is mostly sold out, but tickets still going on. But, hey, we're still going to be at the Fest in Gainesville, Florida at the end of October, October 29th to November 1st. Um, you know, we'll have some surprises. We don't fully know what that means yet, but we will be there. We will uh, be rocking out. We're really excited to be back. And that might be our first show, actually, of 2021. Yeah. And, you know, keep your, your you specifically, keep your eyes peeled. Maybe we'll try to go through Abilene and play a show in Abilene so we can visit it because we have not visited. I've thought about this, actually. I've thought about, like, we should just play Abilene so we could go <laughs> and see the site. 